Well, hey there, SJWs. Or shall I say, wokeists. That seems to be the current fear-mongering term. I hope you all had a wonderful Cuckmas season. I bet some of you were real good lefties that earned extra wokeness points, even, by baking genderless gingerbread people without the traditional massive penises they're supposed to have. (sighs) I miss the days when gingerbread men were unwoke and their genitals were visible for all to see in all their gingerbread glory. (laughs) If you were supremely rational, though, and not regressive lefties, you probably would have spent this season curled up by a fire on a giant brain-shaped chair somewhere, tweeting your totally normal concerns about a decline in young women's fertility, like Eric Weinstein, or if you wanted to step it up, like Stefan Molyneux, who has specifically been worried about the quality of Taylor Swift's eggs. If you wanted to be a bit subtler, perhaps you'd have talked about how women are biologically better suited to raising children, like Sam Harris, the inventor of Logic and Reason, recently did on a podcast. Or if you wanted to go full Peterson, you'd maybe just complain about how birth control pills are destroying Western civilization. Now, whatever your extremely, extremely normal interests in women's fertility or their trad roles in rearing children are, you've got to realize by now this is all just different shades of the same thing from Molyneux to Peterson to Harris. It's uh, about 50 shades of bullshit, if you will. The intellectual dark web or IDW can easily lead people to the more hardcore mask off Molyneux garbage. And Molyneux already is basically half a step away from straight up Richard Spencer garbage. And we've seen this very radicalization path shown through studies and talked about in articles, many of which I've discussed in previous episodes in more detail. But shockingly, the facts and data fetishizing genius brains simply don't acknowledge this. Because maybe these facts hurt their feels. Or more accurately, these facts expose their power levels that they've worked so hard to mask in shiny new intellectual packaging. Why, just the other day, there was a race science article in the New York Times that approvingly cited a paper co-authored by a white supremacist. Fringe of the fucking fringe indeed. So, as we can see, phrenology is in vogue again. Yay! Happy New Year, guys! Though the New York Times did do a really pathetic, excuse-making, vagueish retraction and grumpily removed links to that paper while denying it was cited favorably at all. That's something, I suppose. But speaking of phrenology, you'll never guess who jumped right in to defend the honor of this white supremacist co-author. Why, Claire Lehman of Quillette, of course. (laughs) It's like a fucking reflex over there. If there's ever a racist being mildly criticized or a white supremacist being called as such, they have a bat signal for that. And immediately, they're on the case. Denying the racism, jumping through hoops, trying to excuse away white supremacy, splitting hairs about it, or, you know, even denying that Nazis exist at all today. And just like that, they're there before you can even say skull shape. Such heroes. Jokes aside, though, in the past, in the 
pre-Trump era, which seems like a million years ago, just before the beginning of a new year, had at least some sense of hopefulness for what was to come. Maybe I was naive, or maybe things were a little less fashy then, you know? But now, now I'm just filled with dread at what horrors we could possibly see next year, at the normalization of Nazis and general dusting off of far-right talking points in mainstream spaces. And to think that so many people are willing tokens for this, people I used to respect even, so long as I get some publicity or money out of it. Frustratingly and embarrassingly for me, the perfect example of tokenization in support of the right is the current manifestation of the ex-Muslim movement. Maybe it was always like this and I just couldn't see it in a less far-right friendly climate. I mean, it was something I used to be proud of. I used to think that it had the noble goal of simply normalizing apostasy and non-belief in Muslim communities, which is important, but increasingly, undeniably, in the past few years, it's become a project very much aligned with the Western right in service of maintaining the status quo here. The Candace Owens of secular movements, unfortunately. If they get their allies for Islam criticism from Breitbart or rebel media from race science lovers, then hey, sure, they'll take it. The past couple of years have been a difficult period for me to try and find my bearings again in that regard, but I'm glad to have seen it for what it is, and I'm glad to have enough support that I can use my small platform to continue speaking out about the grifters and those who apologize for and push far-right ideas under the guise of secularism and humanism. It's something I think that's becoming increasingly relevant, important, and urgent in this political climate. And with a baby, believe me, I really didn't think I'd be able to maintain consistent output, but hey, it's happened somehow. A year later and I'm still podcasting. I really, really didn't think I could, but I'm so glad that I'm still doing it. And I have some great episodes planned for next year, some new stuff I wanted to try out too, and a couple of really exciting guests I'm hoping to book as well, so fingers crossed. But I'd like to take this moment to thank those who've helped support my work so far. I really, really can't say it enough. Without you, none of this is possible, and I hope you'll continue to join me on my adventures in 2020. And for those who've asked, yes, absolutely, I'm still doing that postmortem on my episode with Sam Harris. It is a three-hour episode, though, so it's been kind of overwhelming to dive into. I've made a start, but I think I'm going to have to split it up into three parts, maybe, so bear with me there. I've tried to do it as an extra on top of the episodes I'm already working on, but maybe I need to take some time out to do just that, since a lot of you have expressed interest. So... Next year, I will make that a priority. As always, listeners, if you enjoy the show and my perspective, please consider supporting via patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. And if you can't do that, please consider sharing the work and spreading the word. Without listeners like you, this show doesn't exist. And with your support, I can do so much more. But anywho, now that's out of the way, let's talk about this episode. This is sort of a follow-up to the Halloween episode where I dug into a lovely cross-section of IDW-type awfulness to set the scene and to showcase a small slice of the kinds of truly dangerous and backwards nonsense they're pushing at any given time. I'll link that in the show notes so you can check it out for a broader view if you haven't already. 
But on today's episode, I'll be chatting with a couple of Pakistani women who express concerns about the impact of IDW types all the way back in Pakistan. Peterson specifically has become very popular there. With all his anti-feminism and enforced monogamy stuff, shocking that he'd be so widely embraced in the extremely conservative Islamic Republic of Pakistan. Super shocking, isn't it? And I myself have seen ex-Muslims currently living there who say they've rejected religion for its treatment of women and minorities, and I've seen them come out on the other end and re-embrace those things in the form of some Western right-wing slash IDW quote-unquote intellectual. Just because they're getting solidarity in the Islam bashing, they get caught up in their other politics too, not realizing how they've just come full circle, how they've abandoned all the principles they claim to have left Islam because of. It's truly frustrating and just sad to watch. The idea for this episode came to me when I encountered a hardcore Dave Rubin defender from Pakistan on Twitter. He was a Shia Muslim too, a minority. The irony of him defending someone like Dave is just, ugh, ah. It's appalling that he'd even be familiar with that clown in the first place. And I mean, you should have seen this guy, just dropping all the anti-wokeness, anti-left buzzwords you'd see in the slime pits of anti-SJW, Western culture war comment sections, or in PragerU videos or something. And you can see exactly where he's picked it up from. It's a sort of softer and subtler, quote-unquote, radicalization in a direction that you wouldn't expect. When you think of young Pakistani men being radicalized online, you'd likely think of Islamists infecting their minds, not far-right sympathizing YouTubers and intellectual fart sniffers from North America emboldening right-wingery misogyny and bigotry in places like Pakistan and Saudi. Yet, here we are. It's a thing that's happening. This anti-left language and demonization of progressive values, of inclusivity and diversity, of sticking up for minorities, of feminism. It's trickling into places like these in an entirely new form. People fighting those things over there have an impossible uphill battle already. But now their opponents are armed with more sophisticated talking points in favor of the same old bigoted bullshit. And they're going out there feeling all validated and modern for promoting misogyny and shit. It's been rejuvenated, given a lovely facelift. And this can have serious effects that are probably only going to get worse. Saudi channels have already cited Peterson to justify that men and women can't work together. I've received emails from concerned Saudis about this too. Here's an excerpt from one. Hi, I'm a big fan of your work. I live in Jizan, a city in the southwest of Saudi Arabia. I'm a reclusive person and I spend most of my time online. And even though I live in a pretty conservative environment, I was never really a right-wing person. And that put me in a lot of heated situations with my family and my friends. I've always gravitated towards politics and enjoyed religious, philosophical, and social debates, which led me to discover Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, Milo, Steven Crowder, etc. I was 18 during this period. Anti-SJW videos were starting to become popular, and unfortunately, I was swayed by that reactionary wave. I feel really ashamed, but for a short period of time, 2017 to mid-2018, 
I held prejudiced, repulsive views about transgender, non-binary people, feminists, black people, and of course, immigrants. Videos of Ben Shapiro and especially Jordan Peterson, in which he talked about the Nordic egalitarianism subject, were often translated into Arabic and used to justify misogynistic biases and further solidify Saudi men's prejudices. Ugh. So that's from Hassan, and he goes on to say that people like ContraPoints and Sam Cedar really helped deconvert him from that anti-SJWism. But yeah, there you have it. Who knows how many others have been sucked in by those hateful videos and living in Saudi, feeding off of Ben Shapiro and Peterson, IDW-esque ideas. It's really a toxic, toxic combination. And just yesterday, I saw some douchebag tweet about how his organization is distributing translated IDW books in Baghdad. For fuck's sake, haven't they suffered enough? Is there a more useless thing to send there? I got some serious missionaries giving Bibles to starving people vibes from that depressing shit. Sorry to end the year on this note, but I'm working with what I'm seeing here, and hey, I'm not a magician, and these are sucky, sucky times. Let's just hope that next year is better than this year. It's a low bar, come on. We've got to cross that, right? Anywho, the first short clip I'll play is from a podcast episode I did in December 2017 with Saudi feminists before we even had terms like IDW, or before we saw many of the articles and studies showing their possible radicalizing effects. And when conceptualizing this episode, I was reminded of that earlier conversation because while sitting in Saudi Arabia, weirdly, they were so familiar with the skeptospheric landscape and the whole grifty cast of characters. I asked them why and how, and they reminded me that it was something they had to familiarize themselves with the talking points and the key players, especially because of how Saudi women are used as pawns so often by these types, how their causes and hashtags are hijacked and filled with far-right Islam and feminism bashers. They use women, like my panelists in this clip, to silence feminists here in the West and to portray any Western feminism as unnecessary and frivolous. So, have a listen to this before we get to the main two interviews of this episode and then just sort of chew on the whole thing a bit. Let me know your thoughts on whether you think the IDW could validate and embolden right-wingery in new, more polished, and concerning ways abroad. We've already seen what it's doing here in the West. What impacts do you think they could have elsewhere? Make sure that uh, that program doesn't contain controversial subjects and uh, you're not impolite to people no definitely not dad you know me i'm never <laughs> ever controversial or yeah, impolite yeah, yeah okay welcome to conversations with your lovable never pisses anyone off ex-muslim host Ina, keeping it non-controversial They did verify Richard uh, Spencer, which is a good thing. I know. A good step in the right direction because it's been so long. You know, Facebook removes racist, uh, Uber removes uh, white nationalists, uh, and so many others. So why not Twitter, where they have a large 
where they had like, verified neo Nazis. That was something, but sure, <laughs> yeah. I think he's feeling disheartened now too. Didn't Richard Spencer tweet um, something like, "I think I'm really thinking about you know not tweeting anymore because." Uh, this seems like we're going to be banned soon and does this mean the SJWs have won and it's pretty funny yeah I hope he doesn't tweet anymore <laughs> you know it's really it's the white genocide you know I, I'm pretty amazed I'm sorry if this is ignorant but I'm amazed at how well versed you are in sort of the western far right scene like how, how does a Saudi woman even get to know all these people because, you know, yeah. we see them often because of uh, Insaf Haidar yeah. and all these people from the people they support, you know. Like oh, yeah, boomer, you know? those people do affect us, you know, do affect us and affect our cases. Because as I said before, they they cannot stop from, like, interfering with us and our campaigns and our hashtags so we are forced to deal with them and so like no and, and then exactly we see exactly what the connections that they have with Richard Spencer and the likes of them yes mm. yeah. got it got it it's a like, pretty you know, all those alt-right people you know the Kekistan and all PP oh they hijacked hijacked that and then tagging with so yeah yeah. Everything leads to the other. So another, um, yeah. yeah. And here we are. And here we are, like Saudi women in Saudi Arabia who know like way too much <laughs> about the Western uh, alt-right scene. It's uh, because there's a trail, as you just pointed out, right? Like yeah. people like Ensaf will retweet Tommy Robinson and Laura Loomer and support them. And then exactly. you'll come to know who Laura Loomer associates with. And then it leads it's to not just Ensaf Haider. Yeah, it's I know. Not just I know. There I are know. these ex-Muslim women who are in Saudi, okay, and they do read these things. And there's this one girl who who says she's a centrist and she's been attacking Antifa and attacking liberals, and she's actually used the term regressive left. Oh dear gosh! I love that centrism often doesn't even seem like it's remotely in the center. Like, I don't know if you know Dave Rubin, but he's a guy who's Uh, made it his mission to sort of um, portray far-right people as being in the new center. So... Alt-right. He supports them. He gives them a platform. Yeah, he's got a pretty alt-right friendly platform and uh, considering how pro-free speech he is, it's funny that he um, has threatened to sue journalists. Poor man's Milo. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still in awe that you guys know Milo and shit. Like, what the hell? It's so weird. (laughs) This is the scene and uh, I used to be a journalist when I lived in Pakistan. And now I live in Toronto. And um, if anybody wants to reach out to me, I'm available on Twitter. And my handle is at T-A-Z-E-E-N. Great. Thank you so much for joining me today. We were speaking on Twitter about how right-wing political commentators and figures like Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro, Dave Rubin, etc. have kind of been exporting extreme, regressive, misogynistic ideas to places like Pakistan. And that's really not uh, what people would expect on a surface level, like, you know, the West exporting extremism in a way. Um, 
back to Pakistan, but but I've heard from more than one person now that that's happening, and actually I've encountered a uh, Pakistani Dave Rubin defender who was plugging all the buzzwords you hear from the IDW and um it, like his timeline was full of Candace Owens retweets and uh shitting on AOC and it's just bizarre to see you know I saw that uh, interaction of yours and it was so interesting to see because he himself living in Pakistan is part of a persecuted minority right he He's was a Shia, Shia person yeah and uh, his uh, his uh, absolute and complete disregard for minorities living in the west was kind of ironic for me that like uh, what kind of a person are you what do you believe in like do you have a sense of self preservation or not and going back to your question i personally think that it's less about exporting um, right wing regressive ideas I think people already have those ideas in places like Pakistan or Middle Eastern countries. They just wanted validation from right. somebody who's like from the West, who speaks English, because, you know, our colonial hangover is such of that unless and until the person speaks English, we would think that they're not like as smart um, as people speaking in any other language. Mm-hmm. So there is that. I, I know people in my own extended family who, who have become fans of especially uh, Jordan Peterson back in Pakistan and I get told because I live in Toronto oh have you ever been to one of his uh, lectures and I was like why the hell would I do that <laughs> and basically it was always about like uh, it's people who are already misogynistic mm-hmm. and uh, they think that if they quote uh, a Pakistani movie they would have less currency but if they quote Jordan Peterson talking about it and saying it in English and you know how he presents himself as a sort of like rational man of science believe me I do know that <laughs> so I have seen the Pakistani fans sort of like reiterated again and again hey it's not some like you know a uh, crazy uh, movie who's going on and on about like you know how men are superior it's a rational man of science who's telling you girl sit in your place right and i mean i've seen like saudi publications saudi newspapers justify i don't know gender segregation i've seen islamists justify men and women not being able to work together all via jordan peterson's words and lectures and interviews and it's it's depressing it's disturbing and and i understand what you mean that they're just looking for justification obviously this isn't the first time that they have uh, come across these misogynistic ideas so that's not what i meant by um export right i just meant that 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 it's working that way too you'd never expect these ideas yeah. going yeah. from here in the west back to there in pakistan when people always assume it's like you know some salafist mullah sending those types of harmful ideas to kids in the west by the internet but it's I happening i have noticed yeah. i have also noticed that uh, the people who are fans of jordan peterson i'm specifically mentioning him because people who whom i know are his fans and not like let's say of ben shapiro for instance not yet so, not yet maybe <laughs> they will they will get exposed to it like afterwards what i what i noticed was that um they are they are the kids who have traveled abroad they have probably went to college in england or america or somewhere and so um 
but they're also deeply misogynistic. Mm-hmm. So they couldn't reconcile with their misogyny, but also the fact that they say that they are like progressive people and they've lived abroad and they have like jobs in multinationals and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So for them, it was like they, they, ha- they had the struggle within themselves that like, hey, we are progressive people, but we also like to, to have wives who stay at home. And not work and listen to everything we say. And if you cheat on the side, they would also look the other way. Um, uh, men will be men. Yes. So they they were they were sort of kind of like looking for something, and then they found that in in Jordan Peterson, who would say all these things, and he is a professor at one of those universities, and uh, he is a psychologist. He's a man of science. And he is saying that men and women are different. Women are supposed to stay at home and have kids, whereas men will be men. And they are the sort of like head of the family and they have the ability to make rational decisions that women do not and so on and so forth. And women will be so lonely if they don't have children and lipstick is, uh, you know, something that's just mimicking your face when you're orgasming and why would you put it on if you don't want to be sexually harassed? Exactly. So basically all of that. And so they found this this perfect, like, a culmination of, like, whatever they believe in, which is, like, you know, Western education and um, calling people who are rational and, like, people who believe in science, but also being assholes when it comes to women's right or minorities' right or whatever. So um, they found this like culmination of all their ideas and presented them in in a relatively articulate fashion. So it's interesting that these are things that you could probably hear at some terrible local corner mosque, but that isn't satisfactory to this group of people in Pakistan that are Jordan Peterson fans because they want to be like... Um, seen as uh, westernized and polished and sophisticated and so they found kind of this perfect excuse to cling to those um, misogynistic ideas and also one more thing is that like they want to use him as a point of reference for argument with people like me because if they throw their local uh, corner mosque mullah I would say uh, yeah I'm not buying that, you mm-hmm. know. But when they say, hey, hey, you live in Toronto and there's a professor in the city where you live and he's saying all that. So, you know, I mean, I won't listen because I, he is. But there are You know who, who, you know who uh, Jordan Peterson is now, but yeah, they might stump some others. Yeah. So, like, they would say, oh, really? There's a professor in the University of Toronto where I'm sending my kids is saying things like that? Um, so that's the, that's the kind of thing that people would just stop for a minute and say, uh, excuse me. Oh, it's Dr. Uh, Jordan Peterson, who's actually saying all that. And he's written like, I don't know, five books or whatever. So, um, so that sort of like, that sort of, uh, also adds value to the misogyny, misogynistic arguments they are making. Right. It gives them credibility. It raises them It gives up. them credibility. Or, or the, I mean, it doesn't give them any credibility, but like they think that it gives them credibility. Right, right, right. Um, so you were mentioning that you have a relative that's gotten quite into Jordan Peterson. Oh yeah, quoting a lot of them and like um, multiple Facebook fights uh, because like somebody actually posted within my family saying like it's year twenty nineteen and people are still saying things like that and so on and so forth. So so they posted him. like. 
critically. No, the, the girl who initially posted was obviously against it. And she right. was like, you know, this is year 2019 and people are still saying things like that. And they're like, there's a, a hall full of audience, audience who's listening to it and like praising it. Like, and, you know, she was actually quite sort of like unhappy with it. Mm-hmm. But in the comments... Uh, they're they're uh, sort of like there was a whole set of arguments like um, and most of the things that they were saying was like again how rational and calm he is and how the evils of political correctness are eroding all the honesty from people it's so sad to see those same things uh, that are like fox news or unfortunately idw talking points just and it's so it's so funny because like when they come when they go to America, for instance, they would be against Fox News or they're perpetuating anti-immigrant ideology or whatnot because then they would be the people who would be directly affected by them. Right. But at home, when it comes to dissing women and uh, dissing uh, trans people or dissing people with disability because they don't want um, to lose the space mm-hmm. or share the space with all these people who are like women or trans people mm-hmm. or, or people with disability or uh, people who have different um, sexual orientation. They don't want to share the space with them. So for that, they would find um, solace or guidance from from Jordan Peterson's. And um, yeah, it, it's I don't know. I don't even find it ironic. I just I just get mad at it, honestly. Yeah. And to me, as an ex-Muslim, I find it especially sad when I see like ex-Muslims from Pakistan that are in Pakistan that are fighting mullahs on this kind of thing just embrace Jordan Peterson because he's a further away, I don't know, repackaged version of these same ideas and they somehow either haven't recognized it's the same bullshit or they're fine shitting on other minorities and you kind of see that on a more macro scale too right like so many pakistanis will speak out against the bigotry of trump the anti-muslim rhetoric he spouts day in day out but at home where there's no threat of or no fear of anti-muslim rhetoric in pakistan they are similarly anti-minority themselves without realizing that they engage in similar behavior. Oh, yes, totally. Um, I have always maintained that Pakistanis and Americans are quite similar in their obsession with religion and mm. and the fear Ooh, of Americans are not going to like hearing that. <laughs> no, and I mean, like, I am, I'm, I'm saying it, I'm not, uh, I'm not trying to sort of compare two countries which are like vastly different in, in, in terms of economic power and right, uh, right. international, but like in terms of like personalities of people, like I've been to America and I've been, I've lived in Pakistan for a, for a greater part of my life. And I see the same obsession with like, with religion mm-hmm. uh, and how their sort of like social life is around church in America or similarly in Pakistan, which is like around near sort of like close family members. They don't make friends outside that. They don't want to interact with people. They're always fearful of others who are different, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's uh, it's um, Afghan refugees, whether it's Ahmadis, whether it's Hindus or Christians who are living in Pakistan, who are indigenous to Pakistan, but different. Mm-hmm. So there is always this fear of the other. And um, I mean, like, you know, love for weapons, uh, <laughs> procreation. Everybody wants to have like five kids and so on and so forth. It's so American. It's unbelievable. As but, yeah. like we see, like the bigotries are coming out and bigotries are now. coming out. And like, you know, there are women who, who were making excuses for people like Roy Moore 
um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so on and so forth. It's an interesting parallel you see there. Um, but to go back to Jordan Peterson a bit and your relative, can you speak a bit more about like what kinds of stuff he shares and uh, what kinds of interactions you see on his social media? I think there was um there was uh, an article where he it was not a video but it was I think he said that like um feminism is a false dogma or something like that. <laughs> I don't I don't recall it correctly but something something to that effect. And there was a lot of like um there were there were people um commenting on um I did not see anything but I was observing it because I found it quite interesting. And um, I see there were there were some girls who were sort of like offended by that and saying that it's not correct, incorrect. And like one of them was quite articulate. But then she was attacked by all the guys. And so um, initially there were some sort of like opposing ideas as well. But like because everybody attacked, attacked those girls. So if, if I go back to his page and I see now it's mostly like other bros patting each other on their backs and like oh my god yes that video was so good <laughs> and he made such an amazing comment and such an amazing ideas and whatnot wow i mean it's very very similar to what you see here in the west right and yes it's, it's alarming i mean I, I laugh about it i guess as a coping mechanism uh, it, it's so funny. Um, I think I mentioned this to you before as well, that um, while they were making some co- sort of co- comment about like the, the sanctity of marriage and how the institution of marriage is so important for the society to sort of like thrive and whatnot, and marriage according to the ideas of Ms. Mr. Peterson. So one of the guys uh, who, again, wanted to recon- sort of reconcile his, his religious ideas along with his uh, Western education said like, and you know what? Jordan Peterson is actually a follower of the Prophet Muhammad. His wife was older than him, just like Prophet Muhammad's. <laughs> and I couldn't roll my eyes like every which way because like seriously, is that an argument are you gonna go with? <laughs> but apparently they are. And I think I think Jordan Peterson would be quite offended if he hears that. Well, I mean he's pretty openly anti Muslim, so yeah. yeah. And um wow, so we have uh, the great Jordan Peterson and uh, the prophet Muhammad <laughs> being compared because their wives are older than them. Well, because one of Mo's wives was older than him. Wow. Oh, well. You know, when you, you think you've seen it all, but you haven't really. Yeah, I mean, we, like some of us, we joke about these IDW figures being prophets um, amongst these rationals, but here you are telling me that they're actually comparing them. So um, troubling, troubling times. And I was just watching uh, a Vice uh, documentary the other day, and it was about the growth of the MRA movement in India and how there are people who actually believe that that men are victims in this truly deeply patriarchal, sexist, misogynistic society in India. And they think that it's inaccurate to state that women are at any disadvantage whatsoever there. I mean, it's ridiculous. And here you have these quote-unquote rational type figures like Gad Saad and Jordan Peterson who use women in Saudi and Pakistan as this sort of shield and a way to shut down feminists over here. Like, oh, your struggles aren't bad enough because it's not literal, you know, stoning to death or honor killing. So be quiet. I don't understand this universal, uh, like, you know, all these uh, men, they get sort of bandied together. Like, why do they 
consider women as enemy when they are the victims? <laughs> well, that's a very long conversation. No, seriously. Like, I mean, like there is no evidence anywhere whatsoever in any like sort of like no in known history where women were sort of subjugating men or or something like that. But that's um, you you see that often in like uh, supremacist mentalities, right? Yeah. Um, of all kinds. So whether yes. it's gender supremacy, religious supremacy, racial supremacy, they're actually on top and they're crying victim. Yeah. Um, but like, at least as far as sort of like religious supremacy is concerned, I understand that, okay, at least at some point in, in past, for instance, like the, the biggest resurgence of like of that victimhood I've seen is in India under Modi, where uh, sort of they were talking about like, you know, good old days, like before any colonization, even before Muslims came in. So that was the golden period and whatnot. I understand at least they had something like that to sort of like to remember. They were the, the ruling class and then they had like colonialism under first Muslims and then Brits. And now they're back at top. Um, so they're talking about that. But, like, there was no part of history where women controlled anything, ever, in known history. So whenever men talk about being victims, there was never a time that they can call back to and saying, hey, we were victims then, and we don't want to go back to that. So that is why we need to preserve this. And that is why sort of, like, all these people like, you know, Ruben or Gatsat or all these people sort of, like, come up and talk about it, and then they find followers. So... I understand all, all that sort of like playing uh, sort of like um, uh, playing to the audience for the victimhood in terms of like religious or ethnic or national supremacy. It makes no sense to me. Yeah, I mean, these things aren't very rational, are they, though? Yeah, but they come from the rational men of science. That's the irony of the whole thing. <laughs> Every time I hear that, I just want to bang my head against something solid. <laughs> don't blame you it's uh, gotta be your um, lady brain that just doesn't have the high IQ to grasp at their brilliant ideas mine well, I also will, I, I, will, I will take my lady brain over any of that <laughs> I'm very happy with my lady brain <laughs> me too me too um, alright well thank you so much for chatting with me about this stuff My name is Firuza and I live in Islamabad, Pakistan. So um, one of the things is that like, um, I feel it's really ironic that Pakistani young men, I haven't, I haven't met a single woman who's read him and appreciated him. Uh, Pakistani <laughs> young men kind of read people like him in a way, in a way they're trying to make a statement as well, right? That we're not reading sort of traditional religious texts. We're not drawing our sort of intellectual inspiration from locals. We're looking abroad and we're looking beyond our small space and our little bubble to broaden our minds. And so when somebody comes up to me and a guy comes up to me and says, you know, I, I really love Peterson, I kind of find it really ironic because I feel like telling him, you know, dude, if you ever ran into this guy, he would probably say something really horrible and racist about you. He certainly thinks that based on the color of your skin, you're not as smart as he is. Um, Though he'll never understand admit it. where. Yeah. 
Um, and do you even understand the, the, the broader context from which this material is coming to you? You know, mm-hmm. and it worries me because I think that people, the, some of us sort of are on Twitter or follow things on the Internet more broadly. So you kind of absorb the environment around a particular writer, right? Like, for instance, Pinker is a really great example of this. <laughs> I had a book of his. I, I read the language instinct. I thought, OK, this guy is really interesting and intelligent and he's talking about stuff and about things that I'm interested in. And then I realized what his other opinions are. And I was like, uh oh, you know, and who's a guy? Malcolm Gladwell, you know, so in Pakistan, especially the books arrive and you can read them and you can get really into these people. But you don't often get access to what their ideas are in a broader context or the people that they're affiliated with or the kinds of intellectual arguments that they're defending, all of which in the current climate is really relevant to the kind of information you're absorbing. Peterson is a bit different from Pinker in that sense is that his stuff has become very well publicized like his comments on enforced monogamy and things like that like he is like the incel king you know like that's kind of what he's known for so it's harder to detach from that version of him and sort of just absorb his weird shady Deepak Chopra self-help bullshit you know (laughs) Yeah, but the thing is, you know, like I know he's in Cell King. You know he's in Cell King. The young man who told me, oh, you know, I've read 20 self-help books in the last two years. And the only one that actually resonated with me was this 12 rules <laughs> thing, whatever. Right. I mean, I don't even know what the title is. And if and he doesn't know about the incel movement. If I told him about it, he would kind of be aghast. He'd be like, what are you talking about? You know, mm. so there is a broader context that people like us who have a slightly more internationalized vision or version of events we kind of pick up on this Mm. over here but there are a lot of people who are buying these books and reading these books who don't cardi you know the fashion brand cardi yeah from pakistan right yeah 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 and it's a it's like a total sort of um liberal modern westernized kind of brand and in one of their fashion shoots they had a, a, a kurta sitting there with a with a copy of this 12 rules thing no <gasps> yes i'll see if i can find that picture and send it to you you know that's what i mean these books are taken out of their context people here don't know who these guys are but there but, are people who refer to him as professor and i'm like oh my god are you kidding me but they don't know and I, you can't go around explaining to all of these people that these ideas are dangerous. You may be removed from his wider Twitter or online presence. Uh, you don't understand the connotations of him holding like an alt-right Kekistan flag with a you don't know who all the white nationalists are and all and all the white nationalist tropes and stuff. There's mm. still stuff that's directly associated with him that you kind of can't escape from. You know what I mean? You know, you can't fully say that they just are complete progressive people and have no idea. Because if they're reading his book, or maybe they're just really shallow, right? When it comes to branding, it's about what's popular. So they hear that Peterson's book is popular. And so here's this progressive Pakistani boutique and they're like what book shall we put on there someone who doesn't even know what the book is hasn't even read it is like hey this one is a top seller let's plop this on and they may not understand the connotations of what he's been reported to have been saying that men and women can't work together right so that is absolutely bizarre I can't I did not know that I cannot believe that this brand Kadi (laughs) 
as advertised with. It was on Twitter just a couple of days ago. I'll see oh, if I can shit. find it. It was on it was on their Instagram, and someone tweeted it saying, "What the hell? Do you guys know what you're doing?" I'll definitely try and find it for yeah, you. Yeah, but here's the other thing, right? Yeah. So there's a couple other things that kind of occur to me as I think about this whole issue of horrible white people's ideas being imported here, right? So there's people like uh, Richard Dawkins. Now, when I first heard about him, I knew nothing about his Islamophobia or his racism or his like Islam baiting and some of those really awful awful things that he says, mm-hmm. right? All I knew was this guy's a really prominent atheist mm-hmm. and he writes about atheism and cool, that's really great. People should read him. Richard Dawkins is really really popular in Pakistan as well. So that's a balance. Um I don't know whether people read him and then also know that he hates their religion and probably their culture. I don't know any of that. Um but I mean he's also really popular. So he's you know there's that as what? well. what? For like his science views or his atheist views? So I think I think that he's popular in the sense that people like reading him because over you know in Pakistan you can't say you're an atheist you actually you are vajibul yeah. qatal you know yeah. what vajibul qatal is oh, right Oh believe me I've been so, called it <laughs> Explain oh that for the audience uh, so Vajibul Qatil is a concept. I mean, I, I have no idea exactly where it comes from, but it, the idea is that there are certain crimes in Islam that can get you killed. And being an atheist, as in not believing in uh, in Allah or a God, um, can get you killed because that is, I suppose, what the, the greatest form of uh, apostasy. Yeah. Um, so imagine I I think about this right. Imagine some kid living in Pakistan in a in a small town in Okara, who just feels like, dude, you know, there just isn't. I just know there isn't. I mean, it just can't be. And where does he find affirmation for his ideas or her ideas, right? Where do they go to understand that it's okay to think this? You're not the only one. There's millions of people out there who feel exactly the same way you do. It's just that in your little town and in your little sort of, you know, neighborhood, you can't say this shit. So I think think Dawkins is popular for that reason. So I get that because coming Mm. from Saudi and from Pakistan, Mm. I totally fell for that too right even though i'm in the west now there Mm. is a sort of residual anger of like not being able to voice your opinions right so i Mm -hmm. yeah used to be a big dawkins fan as well and i completely you know i completely made excuses for him all the time like no 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 he's not that because you want to cling you want to cling on to someone who's sort of giving you that hope the sort of normalizing that it's okay to reject your religion it's okay to be angry about it you know and it and it certainly mm. is but they go that one step further which takes a while for someone in my position to accept i guess but if this yeah. sort of trumpian far right bigoted um, you know, r- racist crimes rising environment doesn't sort of kick you in the guts and make you realize that there are dog whistles and there are um, times to be more nuanced and take care that the far right doesn't hijack your criticisms of Islam. Yeah, This is one yeah. of them. And none of these people, none of these atheist leaders have stepped up for that. They've, they've completely gone along with it. In fact, they continue to make excuses for the far right. They blame things on the left. And their real enemy just seems to be the left, even in this climate. Yeah. And another thing I Mm. wanted to say is that in Pakistan, perhaps the threat of racism, the threat of anti-Muslimness doesn't 
uh, really resonate, doesn't really feel like a big deal because you're surrounded by Muslims, right? Your only mm. oppressor is Muslims. So when someone's yeah. saying sort of dog whistly, Islamophobic, anti-Muslim things, it's like, whatever, it's not a big deal. You just don't understand the threat in the same way. You don't exactly racism. So that way, that's why people are willing to let it go in those places, right? They're only oppressors. Yeah. Are Muslims. Yeah. So I used to talk to a young Pakistani man uh, who was a fan of far-right activist Tommy Robinson, you know, like a serious oh, fan, gosh. considered yeah. him a hero. And I'm like, yeah. dude, you want to leave Pakistan. If it was up to Tommy, he would ensure that people like you never, ever <laughs> get out. You know, it's bizarre that yeah. you hail him as a hero, but, but here we are, you know. And so in the Western context, we have ex-Muslims, that movement that I was so once proud of has been entirely hijacked by this. And they're, yeah. they're completely aligned with the Western status quo. Their biggest enemy is the left that asks for nuance, asks for people to refrain from completely bashing Muslims. So we have like ex-Muslims so joining like far-right groups like For Britain and stuff like that. It's It's really nasty what's happening, but... Sorry, I went on a little so, rant there. Not at all. See, on one level, I feel like, you know, if you're getting solace or some kind of intellectual stimulation, I guess, from ideas taken out of context, what's the harm, right? If any, but the problem is that, so for instance, what triggered my, my message to you was this young man I know who's extremely intelligent, um, has had a very difficult childhood, does not come from a westernized elitist background and started reading Jordan Peterson. And I was a bit afraid and I was like, you know, I don't know enough to tell him not to do it. Let's see where it takes him. He come and I've known him now for about two years. So about seven or eight months ago, he comes back to me and he says, oh, you know, I'm maybe not so interested in in Peterson anymore. Yeah. But at the same time, he started. So but but so here's the bit that really, really freaked me out. Right. Um, he started talking a lot about gender in a in a very essentialist kind of way. So he would start making statements like women are XYZ or the, the most recent one is women are really great at multitasking. And, you know, I, I feel like we have we for I thought I fought these battles in my teens and in my 20s and in my 30s. And I thought that these matters were settled. I had no and I thought that that settled knowledge is what is the mainstream knowledge about feminism and about women and about, you know, gender roles and about socialization and culture and all of these things. And to meet a young, fresh mind really looking for knowledge, coming back to me with ideas that I thought had been kind of, you know, thrown into the garbage in the 1950s is really worrying. And that's when I realized that this is where he's picking this stuff up from. Mm -hmm. Even if he rejects the book overall and the message overall or whatever, all the other baggage that goes with it, on one level, maybe the reason that this man is so popular in Pakistan is because he speaks to a very patriarchal, misogynistic culture um, and kind of, you know, frames it in like, you know, these are scientific truths. I mean, this kid is actually saying it's science. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, have you read any of the newer books on gender studies that have basically told you debunked most of these studies that were used in the 80s to write all those, you know, men are from me, Venus shit books. And you know, gender He's studies like, no, is it's uh, the biggest enemy right now, right? There's, <laughs> they want it shut down from universities. I mean, you can disagree. 
with whatever in gender studies, but to claim you're a free speech absolutist and a hero and a champion for even the most despicable types, neo-Nazis, but when it comes to gender studies, no, 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 you want it defunded, you want it out of universities. This is the project. I just, there's a question here that nobody seems to be able to answer. Why are they so terrified of women? I mean, what is their problem? <laughs> you know, when I when you think about misogyny, really, it's like, what is your problem? Are you so insecure that you think that the moment 50% of the population is going to be on an equal footing with you, your idiocy and stupidity and mediocrity is just going to be shown? I mean, seriously, what is your problem? Right? Why are they, and why is there this new wave of a really ugly pushback against women? All of this stuff, like I said, I thought we'd settled all this. Where is this coming from? They even are reopening conversations about like what is and what isn't considered neo Nazism. And it's just everything you think was settled. You know, why is racism yeah, bad, actually? Yeah. Why is the study of skull shapes bad, actually? Yeah, oh, my God, yes. Oh, um, yeah, so what is happening? What is going on? Is this just the last the last throes of this, this sort of right-wing, neoliberal, capitalist system that they're just desperately trying to hang on to their power? Is that what's going on? And so this is like that last push because they know they're dying. I would like to think that. I um, hope you're right, is, but it's kind of terrifying, <laughs> right? You don't know until you're out of it, I guess. The other way of looking at it is that none of this stuff actually was settled. It never actually went away. It was just that liberals managed to suppress speaking about this stuff openly and you know this wave of trump and you know boris and modi and just this right-wing wave of politicians who have no filters um have just allowed this stuff to spew right back out maybe it never went anywhere like that and that would be such yeah, a shame they're also inspiring the project, people yeah. right and the connectivity with the yes. internet allows these people to uh, collaborate and find each other in a way that nothing else ever has you know they don't they never yeah. used to be able to congregate in this way and now there's like far-right internet groups all across different kinds of social media they they bounce from different social media to different social media like once they're banned off twitter they have their own i mean garbage versions of these things but they still have a place yeah yeah. And in Pakistan, they don't even need to have a safe space. I mean, Pakistani <laughs> social media is their safe space, right? It's the ones who are not like them who have to find their safe spaces to talk about like normal stuff. And it's funny um, you phrase it as safe space, because that's another thing that they're so against, right? Like mm. a, a sort of a safe space for minorities or anyone vulnerable. Yet, while yeah. all they want is a safe space for them to spout their racism endlessly without any consequences whatsoever yeah yeah and i think some of this also has to in pakistan at least some of this also has to do with me too right and that i think is one of the most beautiful examples of a movement that was sort of started in the west that has filtered down to pakistan really fast and and really well and has triggered all the kinds of conversations that we would never have had otherwise and i think for a lot of young men here that is an added factor that is complicating their ability to figure out this stuff you know it's threatening um, like so 
it's I don't know if it's just threatening because, for instance, the same guy who triggered my reaching out to you, right? So what actually caused me to reach out to you was a conversation that he started having with me about, uh, like, with with Pakistan, we haven't really had me too in an intense sort of in a accountability way. So, for instance, all the there have just been two or three prominent cases, and nobody's actually been fired. It's all still up in the air. So it's you know, and there are women who are defending and all of that crap. Um, but one of the more recent ones was about some woman who kind of, you know, she she released some DMs and they were she was being harassed and all of this. And this young man comes up to me and he shows me uh, this sort of a little exchange that he'd taken a screenshot of. And he looks at me and he says, you know, women just, he said, this is what men are like. And so... And I just kind of looked at him and I was like, what are you telling me? Are you telling me that just because men harass women, um, there's nothing that can be done about it because this is male nature? And he's like, yes. And then he went into these like sort of evolutionary psychology arguments about man being the hunter and women biologically being. And I just lost it. And I think this I don't again, I haven't read Peterson. But I have a feeling that this is where this stuff comes from. I I picked up something about him talking about lobsters. Did you hear about his uh, idea that, what was it, feminists like to be brutally dominated and that's why they like Islam? Oh, oh, oh God. This this man is mad. Yes, yes, he's, he's very clearly He's basically just is. insane. He's, yeah. So, you know, so that's also what's happening is that the, 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 the framework within which these people make their arguments, things like, you know, biology is destiny and all of that, that resonates a lot with men here who anyway have been taught all of this stuff. And now they have white people, doctors, no less, saying exactly the same thing, you know. So they're like, yep, we were always right. We knew this. And women can't. Women should, so this young man's solution to me for women being harassed online, they should just stop using social media. And I just looked at him and I was like, how do I even begin to tell this young person who otherwise is a really smart, decent guy, how do I begin to tell him that you are so, so wrong? You know, how do you actually do that? And as a woman, you're just going to be accused of being like threatened or biased or yeah something yeah. right so. so and I'm emotional because of course you know my hormones make me emotional right. <laughs> and you know I'm a people person so I care more I'm empathetic because that's what you know women are the empaths and all of this and I have oh and it drives me crazy because this stuff was sorted out we should not be having these discussions in 2019 and yet here we are and it's and easier to people, dismiss be, if it's like coming from some conservative preacher right you're like Oh, please he's just yes, got these regressive ideas uncle. or some uncle yes, yeah or it's exactly fine if it's coming from, yes because it's like dude you know you're a dinosaur your way of thinking is dying i i can't be bothered but when it's a 28 year old man i think that you know you have your entire life to enforce your misogyny on the women around you and that really upsets me especially when that person is making an effort to to improve himself Right, and that is the is, 
threat of the so-called intellectual dark web movement, right? All yes. of these figures yes. together, they have rebranded all these regressive ideas and they're reselling them as these repackaged, yeah. shiny, modern things. Science-based. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. When they're just yeah. regressive garbage that we've heard from like ancient uncles and uh, mullahs <laughs> and... yeah. It's unfortunate. It's, and the and the irony is that they have a term called regressive left, which um mm. <laughs> which they use for uh the left trying to push progressive values. However, the literal regressiveness coming from these people, the backwards thrust in conversation in ideas is all brought out by this whole gross quote-unquote intellectual rational project you know yeah yeah the whole idea of the marketplace of ideas right mm. and i so i grew up in an environment of a lot of censorship right and in my country we still can't talk about a lot of things mm -hmm. so i'm perfectly comfortable with the idea there's certain things you can't say but when they sort of t start talking about you know we must allow all ideas i'm like hell no all ideas don't have equal validity. Are you going to tell me now that I'm going to sit and debate with somebody who says the earth is flat? No, all ideas are not equally valid. And this whole idea of a marketplace of ideas, so what? You go in there and you just pick and choose what you think is true and what you think is valid. It doesn't work that way. And it's a kind of gaslighting on a, on a massive mm -hmm. scale, mm -hmm. isn't it? Mm -hmm. Because they've just completely changed the framework within which you can think and speak. And, in, in, and the framework within which certain settled truths were are just being disrupted because hey marketplace of ideas freedom of speech you know peterson and is a climate change denier too eh oh god why am i not surprised <laughs> and all and, and another member of the idw is like a um vaccination centrist so he like i think it was eric oh there's a centrist there, i had no idea there's a centrist position on vaccine what believe me that? i had no idea there's a centrist <laughs> position on a lot of this bullshit i think brett weinstein <laughs> is an abortion centrist and his brother eric asked for like the best anti-vax positions and also the best oh. pro-vax <laughs> positions so these people are making oh. a real mess of things right and and it's important that we expose and realize the danger that they're putting a lot of young minds in. And that's why I focus yeah. so much on the IDW these days. This is an effort on a, on a very wide scale to drag back intellectual progress so that the inevitable out I mean you know it's like once your mind is opened up I mean inevitably you reach that one conclusion that capitalism sucks right you have to once you start treading that path and maybe that's exactly what they're trying to stop really early on you know maybe it's like a sort of they think that feminism is a gateway drug or whatever you know that kind of thing so people like Dave Rubin and Pinker have all been yeah. like funded by these Koch brothers related organizations like Learned Liberty and uh huh. So, I mean, it is a wide scale effort. It is an organized effort to exaggerate the faults of the left and minimize the faults mm. of the very far right. Um, yeah. And there isn't really an equivalent on the left that I can think of, like someone that's massively funding this project of making the left look good. Uh, there isn't yeah. anything like that. So it is concerning. Yeah, um, it is concerning.
And that's it for me, folks. I'll talk to you guys in the new year. I hope you found this episode interesting. Do let me know your thoughts and share and support the show. Thanks for listening to another episode of Polite Conversations. You can support this podcast by sharing the shit out of it, making some noise about it, or contributing via Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes. No Ian mangoes. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at nice mangoes. If you want to make a one-time donation instead of a monthly Patreon one, you can do so via PayPal. NiceMangoes.blog at gmail.com. Remember, no Ian Mangoes. If you've got an interesting story and would potentially like to be a guest, you can email me there too. Thank you.